On today's episode, I had on Jordan Radliff, who is a physiotherapist at Woodford Sports Science Consulting. Um, he has a special interest in ACL management. So that was kind of our main topic for today. We talked originally about operative management versus non-operative management. Then we kind of went into his importance uh, or why he thinks it's important to do kind of that prehab stage before you go into surgery if you can, how he kind of um, rehabs an ACL post-surgery and kind of his main focuses on that, whether um, which is more of a kind of strength and conditioning based, um, how hard he kind of likes to push his athletes comparatively to what he thinks most people do, uh, kind of how he thinks it should run best how he incorporates conditioning into this. And then, yeah, just a pretty comprehensive um, uh, podcast on how, again, he kind of deals with that ACL pre, post, um, op, and then if he does recommend um, operation or operating on the um, knee or not. So here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, coaches, parents of athletes, or any active person looking to improve their fitness or athletic ability. So please, have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood. And today we have on Jordan Radliff, who is the physiotherapist at Woodford Sports Science Consulting down in Melbourne. So he has a special interest in working with ACLs. So that's going to be our main topic of today. Uh, So if you just want to start off, Jordan, maybe talking about um, just kind of your background, um, kind of how you got interested in ACLs and physio and so on. Definitely. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm originally from the Gold Coast, and that's where um, I've done all my studies. So I did an undergraduate in exercise science, um, and then from there, did some good kind of mentorships or, or shadowing with some good physiotherapists, um, and then decided that from that exercise science degree that I wanted to go into physiotherapy. So I got into the pathway of doing my master's of physiotherapy. Um, again, did that at Griffith University on the Gold Coast completed that um, and really enjoyed it made some great friends through there and um, decided that I, I definitely did make the right choice from there um, moved to Melbourne so I moved to Melbourne about two and a half years ago um, just for for my partner got a job down here so we decided to uh, make the move um, and then started working at a normal physiotherapy clinic at that time um, and did that full-time for the first year, which is really good because it kind of showed me that I didn't love the normal clinic life. So from there, I, I still really enjoyed it, but I, I thought there was way more that I could do. So I um, met a fellow named Christian Woodford and um, started working at his strength and conditioning facility. Um, and that's kind of the way that I got into ACLs and um, just been progressing from there. Nice. And I, I really like the post. Um, if we could maybe kind of start about that, the post you did with the ACL surgery vicious cycle and then kind of moving into what you think should be the ACL um, the, the ACL kind of cycle and talk about um, how, it, how it is now versus how you think ideally um, the best kind of route should be for the, the, the athlete. Yep, definitely, definitely. Um, I think the ACL cycle right now is based off professional sports. Because in professional sports, you pretty much, if you do your ACL, you've got to get your ACL repaired straight away. 
because the unknown is is not really allowed in professional sports. They need to know exactly what's going on and they've got to get that athlete back in a certain period of time. And that's kind of been brought into the general population as well, where someone gets injured, they see their doctor, they go, they go for a scan, they find out that they, um, they ruptured their ACL. From there, the, they go straight to a surgeon. The surgeon says, yep, you've ruptured your ACL, let's put you in for surgery next week. And that's that's kind of the 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 pro sport model, which is which is fine for a lot of people that do need to do that. But there's still a lot of people out there that don't need to go for surgery at all or surgery straight away. So kind of the way that it should be done is you injure your knee, you either go see a doctor or go see an allied health professional um, to find out exactly what's going on. Um, you get a scan um, and find out, all right, I've got a fully ruptured ACL. From there, we can start, if, if, if they want, we can start a really good rehabilitation program, starting. Get that going. Even if they do want surgery later on, that's a really good prehab. Um, if they find out that they don't want surgery, we can just continue that, that going, a really good strength conditioning program, and then they continue on that cycle. And then even later down the track, if it's one year down the track, two, three, four years down the track, they want to get their ACL repaired, that's totally fine. They've just done a really good strength conditioning program. Their knee's in a really good position to come out of surgery on, on the right side pretty much. So I just think too many people rush it. They, they mm-hmm. think from pro sports that, all right, you've got to get your ACL repaired straight away or your knee's not going to be stable. You can't do anything. But it's, it's definitely not the case and it's a message that needs to kind of come to the front a little bit more of people can do what they want without an ACL. Mm-hmm. So just trying to push that. Yeah, and so I, I was just going to be quite different depending on the situation and all that, but uh, would you say that this is even athletes at the non-pro level that are even like maybe like kids or ones that are trying to go higher levels? What is your opinion upon? Is there... With, um, yeah. Are yeah. they straight good. surgery as well? Or do you think it's kind of uh, depending on a lot of things? Yeah, good, really good question. If it's if it's a younger athlete, male or female, I'd probably I'd want them to get surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, again, just because of that unknown, they're a lot younger um, and they've still got a lot of sport to play. Mm-hmm. I f- I feel like the the conservative management or the non operative approach is more for someone that maybe um, is if they're playing sport that's later in their career. Maybe they've got only a couple seasons left to go, or they're year by year. Um, they're an older athlete. They don't, yeah, pretty much don't have much time to go. Or if it's someone that's not playing sport, um, someone that just wants to go for a run, hang out with their family, uh, just do the day to day type stuff. That's another person that I'd that I'd be looking for a more conservative approach. But a younger athlete, I would normally push them to, or give them the options, but still push them to kind of go for surgery. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can start uh, just to like kind of a general overview of how that uh, non-operative management would go. So they come with they come to you with it. They decide, um, you know, I'm not going to go through a surgery. Kind of what are your main focuses and uh, kind of the general progression, I guess, um, from there. Yep. So just like uh, you pretty much take the exact same course that you would if they're going to go for surgery. So they come out of, well, they, they injure themselves. They come and see us. We go through all that, that chat and they find out, all right, I'm going to try a conservative approach for a little bit and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, just a really good strength conditioning program. Start simple, build that to complex. 
work on your main lifting patterns early. So your hinge variations, your squat variations, and any accessory lifts that, uh, that you feel appropriate and start to slowly build that up. After, say, three or six months, you're going to know if that person, if that athlete is going to be able to be a COPA or a non-COPA. So a COPA, COPA is more someone that can do the non-operative approach and be able to continue going down that pathway with not too much instability. Someone that you just go through a really good rehabilitation and they're still either physically they're not strong enough to have an instability or even mentally that they don't have that confidence to continue going down that pathway that's someone that we'd say is more a non-coper and there's where you have a bit more conversation about all right surgery might be the approach for you so yeah at the end of the day it's a really good individualized strength and conditioning program doesn't matter if you go for surgery or not go for surgery you're going you're going to do very similar things we're just going to be able to push you a little bit harder a little bit earlier if we go the non-operative approach Okay. So if someone does come to you though with um, NACL and you decide to get surgery, you want to talk a little bit about maybe a little bit about the importance of that, um, like the, the pre-surgery work that you're Definitely. doing with them, the importance of that? Definitely. Yeah. And that's, that's what I think is that's a really good question because it's so important that we don't rush these athletes into going straight for surgery, as I mentioned before. If they do come into me, again, we're gonna we're gonna slowly. The main things I'm gonna do at the start is we want to get that swelling down. We want to keep those those muscles activated, those cores activated, those hamstrings activated, those glutes activated, um, and then pretty much get them onto that normal strength conditioning program. But we just can't do it too fast there because they're going to be quite irritable early, um, just because they've just uh, ruptured their ACL. We've just got to slowly get them back into doing what they can. Get them walking normal, get them confident, and then go through your squat variations, go through your hinge variations, do a lot of single leg based exercises, and just progress from there. Again, the longer you've got with them before surgery, the better it's going to be, but you can get them feeling pretty good pretty fast after rupturing their ACL. And then do you notice that kind of uh, with your experience in general too, the the further you get them along pre-surgery, the kind of quicker they'll return post-surgery or getting back to the normal level yeah our aim i guess the aim after surgery is to have as much muscle mass there as possible because we know we're going to lose a lot when we're going through surgery so if so if that athlete prior to surgery builds that strength up a lot they're going to come out the other end way better if they're not doing much, they're sitting on the couch and they're already atrophying, so their muscle's losing already, then they're going to come out that other side really bad. So that's why, yeah, the more muscle strength we do have prior to that surgery, the better they're going to come out that other side, definitely. Mm-hmm. And do you do any sort of, uh, and again, it's going to depend on how far you kind of get them going, but do you do any sort of type conditioning type work during that pre-phase two, um, or is it mainly just working on that strength? Main depends depends what they want to do. If they're if they're a person that all right, I don't actually know if I do want to get surgery, then I'd have them running. I do some conditioning work. We can do anything really. But if it's someone that's saying all right, I'm going for surgery. I've locked it in in three months. I'd be trying to just work on strength rather than trying to get some conditioning in. If they do want to do a little bit of conditioning, that's fine. They can definitely do it. They're not going to hurt themselves, but. My main focus would be on that strength side, trying to build as much as possible. Okay. Um, so 
I guess, uh, what, if you, if you were to do any type of conditioning though, what, do you have anything specific that works that you can still do? Like, so, so let's say they're an athlete and they really do want to be able to kind of keep that conditioning up as much as possible as well. And they were locked in for surgery. Is there something that you can do that's safe, but still allows them to get some, some sort of definitely. Yeah. Just, just all I'd get them to do at the start is just work on anything linear. So I get all the athletes mm. on a fartlek type program where they're doing building up that running time, having a bit of walking, and then trying to keep building that up, less walking, more running. Um, that's a super safe and easy approach. Um, and then if they're looking comfortable through there, and again, I'd be doing more of this for the non-operative side is getting into some acceleration work, starting to build that up too. But for anyone that is going to go for surgery that wants to keep some conditioning, I'll do a bit of that running. But at the same time, we can get them on a bike, we can get them on the rower, we can get them on an Alter-G, we can get them on so many different things um, to keep that conditioning there. Okay. Um, and then, so about, do you have a general time frame of how much you like to do this type of um, pre-surgery work before they go into surgery, or is it, it doesn't really matter? Um, on well, that? Is there uh, kind of that sweet spot or not really? Well, all the research to find out if you're a copa or non-copa is between that three to six months. So if they're going to go for surgery, I really want, if I can, get three months of them. Uh, it's hard for a lot of people because they don't want to wait that three months. Mm. They kind of just want to go, if they're getting surgery, a lot of them just want to go straight into surgery. And that's where that education side of, okay, this is what we've got to work on early. If we do this good early, you're going to come out the other end really well. So between... Three to six months. And that's that time, as I said just before, we're going to find out if they are a copa or a non-copa. Mm-hmm. And then that's more for, again, the athletes that aren't going to try and go and return to the high level. Um, you just kind of wait to, to see that. Whereas if it was an athlete, are you going to push them to go a little bit sooner? For surgery? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For if it's, if it's an athlete that has to get back to what they need to do, if they're getting paid to play, I'm mm-hmm. going to push them for surgery pretty fast. Yeah, okay. they're, the, they're the ones that don't have much of a prehab at all because mm-hmm. they need to get back to doing their job pretty much and, that, and that's playing sport. Whereas the ones that I can spend a little bit more time with for those athletes that aren't getting paid or just do it for fun or something like that or later in their career, anything like that, we can spend a little bit more time. Okay. So I guess, yeah, let's, maybe if we talk a little bit about, and again, I know this isn't necessarily week-based, it's more kind of criterion-based, but for an athlete that does go to surgery, mm-hmm. do you kind of have, um, what's your kind of, pro, your focuses or goals um, for phases or protocol to kind of um, get them back to playing sport? Uh, and again, I know it's, time frames are very different, but just maybe yep. your main general focus is through each one. Yeah, definitely. So do you want to talk about um, the formal testing? Uh, yeah, or, we can. Uh, or do you want to talk about w- what we look for throughout kind of each phase of, of going through rehabilitation? Yeah, I mean, if you want to just combine them both and kind of go through that, just that whole progression yep. of what you do, that'd, that'd work. Yep, definitely. So when, when, when an athlete is coming out of surgery, the first phase is, that's the acute phase. That's a, that's a simple phase where we're just trying to get everything working again. Main focus there is to try and get that leg as straight as possible. That's that main thing. What helps with that is trying to reduce the swelling. So a lot of work on that, and we're trying to keep those quads activated. Okay, so if I get that leg straight, I can reduce the swelling, I can get those quads activated and try and get them walking a little bit better. Um, That's what I'm focusing on in that really acute phase. And that's probably two to three weeks for for most individuals. 
Um, from there, I can start to work on those primal, those bilateral primal patterns. So variations of a, of a squat variation and a hinge variation. So for example, a very high bottom-up box squat or a, a hinge using a dowel rod, something like that, just to get them going from there. Um, also add in a little bit of accessory work in that early phase as well, where we're just working on calf raises or a really small step up, something like that. Um, and at that same time, I'm already starting my running mechanics. I'm getting my mm. athletes to do real small walking dribbles, real small A marches, um, some really basic wall drills, stuff like that, that's going to help them a lot down that track. Um, so they're type, the type of things I'm going to work through that really early phase and then slowly build up those those primal pattern lifts um, to have some just some motor control over that first three months. Um, as time goes on, I'm going to add in some stable single leg exercises and that's going to be more machine-based. Okay. So that's going to come around getting into that two-month mark. And once I hit that three-month mark, that's when the first testing comes. That's when I'm looking at uh, quad strength. That's when I'm looking at hamstring strength. And I'm starting to add a uh, single leg hop in there as well. Um, at that point is just to kind of tell us where we're at. If they're doing good around that time, that's when I'm going to get them to slowly start running again. Get into that running phase um, and just get them out on that fart leg program. So that's that first formal test around three months. Every session though, we've got informal testing. I'm seeing how they're moving, um, going through those those running mechanic drills. Are they progressing well each time? Are, they, are we getting to the point where we're adding in some landing mechanics? Are we getting to the point where we're starting to add in some low amplitude plyometrics, um, skipping pogos? And kind of, I guess, progressing those those running mechanics as well. So getting into more moving from your A marches to your A pops and A skip. So as I said, to get my athlete running around that three month mark, they've got to they've got to do well in those tests. So we're looking at eighty percent each side, um, and be confident at the same time. So that's them to get into a normal <laughs> running pattern. But I also want around that time or maybe a couple of weeks later for them to have a really good A-pop, a really good single leg um, pogo, and then I'm going to start to get them into some acceleration work and um, slowly build up that max velocity work as time goes on. So as we talked about, it's that slow, uh, it's that short, short to long model of Charlie Francis where works perfect for rehabilitation for um, field-based athletes. So starting real small on acceleration work and then building that up. So that's happening around that three to four month mark. Um, three to six months, again, we're just still working on our uh, primal patterns, getting that nice and strong. And then we're starting to add more single leg type exercises in now. So we're going off the machines a little bit and making them work through their step ups, um, getting into a split squat or step down, um, all those type of patterns. Again, working hard from that into our three to six months, adding more rate of force development exercises in, um, and then six months we've got our next um, next formal block of, of testing, where it's very similar to the last block. We're just adding in a triple um, crossover hop. Again, same progression goes from that six to nine. We're just doing more single leg type exercises, a lot more running type work, um, acceleration, max velocity, curve running, starting to add that change of direction in. Uh, progressing up to nine months and then between that nine to 12 is 
depending on how they're going is when they're going to return to return to their sport or return to performance. Okay. Um, I guess kind of going back to that initial acute phase, how, how do you, mm. um, how do you assure the athlete? Cause I mean, um, it, I feel like a lot of them coming out of there might be kind of hesitant to do, you know, the strength exercises with squats or even work on some running mechanics. So how do you, um, kind of assure the athlete that, you know, that it's okay and that we need to start doing this for the better of everything? Yeah, a lot of education. So mm. I guess the most important thing about being a physiotherapist is assurance. That, that's what a lot of athletes need, is they need that education to know that they're going in the right direction. Every session with one of my, with all my ACL athletes, it's, oh, I got this niggle in my knee. Um, is that all right? Um, I got this pain behind my knee. Is that normal? So it's all about that education and that reassurance early on. Um, for them to know that they're going in the right direction. So if they're not feeling good, you just regress. You've always got to have your regressions and progressions. So it's, it's, it's starting very simple. So Graham Morris, simple to complex, just really take your time. You don't have to rush anything um, and they will let you know if, if they're not feeling comfortable. Mm-hmm. So start with a really high bottom-up box squat so that so the range of motion is so small that they're just trying to start that patterning. Again, a dowel hinge, it's, it's very simple and, and, and super effective early on to get that motor control happening. Um, with our running mechanics, we're doing it walking. They should be fine doing that walking. And again, you're just telling them why you're doing it. You're not just getting them to do a dribble or you're not getting them to do an A-march just to do it. You've got to understand, all right, this is what we're trying to do for later down the track when you are getting into your max velocity work. You're doing wall drills. All right, we're doing our wall drills because this is going to help with our acceleration. So if you educate them and they know exactly what they're doing, um, you're going to be fine. Okay. And then um, kind of going back to that last bit of it, are, are you a big proponent of, of keeping post nine months before starting return to sport with all the research out on the decreased um, risk of re-injury? Or is it Definitely, really dependent yeah, de- still? It's, it's super depending and it really depends who your athlete is. But for all my athletes, I'm not even, they're not going to be ready until that, at least around that 12 month, 12 month mark. And we don't use time at all, as we mentioned before, but mm. they've got to hit that criteria. But yeah, none of them are hitting it before 12. I've got, we've got some that are like, a lot of them stick with us for a while. So I've got 18 months, two years, whatever. And some of them still on occasion feel like, all right, this isn't as strong as, as, as my other side or, or something like that, even though we're working just as hard. So it takes a very long time. And I think that nine-month mark is, um, I guess, all right for very elite pro athletes. But for most of us, going back earlier than 12, 16, 18 months is, is, doesn't need to be, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess... So for doing this and kind of getting um, back to that return, I guess, sport or whatever you, you necessarily want to call it, um, mm-hmm. what, uh, what is your kind of progression into practices and then into games and so on from there? Because I know it's, I mean, do you kind of like go, you know, maybe go a little bit on the sideline stuff and then when do they get back to contact? And I know it's probably going to be all, you know, again, criterion based more, but um, how yeah. kind of conservative and stuff are you? It also depends on the sport, but let's say yep. more of a field-based contact-ish type athlete. Yep, definitely. So when we're getting into the later or the end stage of ACL rehab, I'm grouping a lot of my um, athletes together. 
So we're starting to do a lot of drills together where they do have to be more reactive. They've got to mirror players. They've got to chase. They've got to dodge. They've got to score. So um, they're already getting into components of what training, what games are going to be like um, before I'm even sending them back to modified training. So probably over the last three, four months of their rehabilitation, they're working in groups. They'll probably start at around two or three, um, depending on how many we've got around, and then try and build that up to, to, to six athletes if possible. Um, once they're, say they're, they're going really good through there, they're, all the informal testing, so everything I see week to week is progressing really well. They're feeling confident. Their, their formal testings are looking good as well. Then we'll put them back into some modified training. So that's where... We're looking at modified training for around that four week and that's when we're just returning our athlete to participate. And that's when they're going through the, the modified drills. Um, again, just restricting what we need to restrict and then progressing from there. Getting them back to return to sport, which is when they're going to go into that full-time training and they're, and they're starting to work hard. There's no restrictions at all. And before they really return to their performance, we want four really good weeks of them at training. They're also still working on their strength and conditioning, which is which is never going to end for them. They've got good conditioning because that's something a lot of people are going to lack when they do come back mm-hmm. um, is that conditioning side. They've yeah. got really good conditioning and, uh, again, they're feeling confident, not just physically but mentally they feel like they can do whatever they want. One thing I like my athletes to say when they do return to sport is, uh, or return to performance, is I don't know what 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 knees injured pretty much. Mm-hmm. And that's what that. Once I hear that, I'm like, mate, we've got this. You're gonna be fine. <laughs> what uh, what conversation do you have with them? Because I, I feel like, um, it, and it's gonna be dependent on the athlete's um, character. But if they do kind of get get soon as they get into training and they're whatever quote-unquote cleared to start doing that um then they're like well i'm ready like why can't i go now and you kind of push that four weeks is that a common conversation to have and how does that kind of go yeah it's definitely um some people want to go back way faster than others um but it's you just got to tell them like you've gone through this whole journey we're we're trying to get you to the top of that mountain if you don't I guess if they don't trust you too, they're going to want to push hard. But if you tell them what they need to know from day one, you're going to have them for that whole journey. You can keep them for two years if you have to because mm-hmm. they're going to listen to everything you say. But, yeah, probably the most important thing is talking from day one, telling them, all right, this is what the top of the mountain looks like. This is what a rehab athlete looks like. We've got to hit all these markers. We've got to return to sport. This is how many um, weeks we've got to do before I get you playing. If you tell them that from day one, they're going to be fine with it. But it's the, it's the time where you're like, all right, I'll put you in for training for two weeks and we'll see how you go then. And then they get to that two weeks and they're like, all right, now nah, we've got to keep you in for another two to three weeks before I can let you go. They're the ones that are going to be like, well, you just told me I can go back. <laughs> they're the ones that aren't going to trust you and they, they will try and get back earlier. But if you explain to your athlete from, from day one everything that needs to go on, then you'll be fine. You'll have them the whole way. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of mentioned too that important part of getting back to uh, the conditioning level of the team when they get there. Is there anything special that you do outside of just making them train for four weeks to try and help them kind of get back to the level they need with their sport? Yeah, we just start that way earlier. So the conditioning side. So we got, again, Charlie Francis, high-low model. So 
our high sessions are 95% or more. We're really working on that max velocity, acceleration, anything like that. Um, and then we've got our low sessions as well, where, where we're more working on below 75% and we're trying to build our conditioning up. Um, we're going to get into that, that middle stage here and there, but we're trying to stay away from that glycolytic zone because we want to slowly build that conditioning, build that tank, and then have that max effort stuff to really able that athlete to have those repeated efforts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I reckon the most important thing is starting early with their conditioning. Okay. And I liked how you kind of did the kind of that group training in the end of it to kind of work on uh, one. Does you think it helps kind of just in general motivation and some camaraderie, camaraderie and some people together first off? Uh, and then second off, I guess, do you have any specific drills that you really like kind of with that dual tasking or reactive type stuff that you do with the athletes um, to try to get them more used to not just doing kind of those closed drills? Yep, yep. And this is uh, this has come from um, Elong, uh, Elong University, which uh, a group of guys are bloody fantastic. But yeah, we focus on, um, so we've got mirror drills to start with where they're just going to pretty much follow the other person, do exactly what they do. It's super reactive. They've got to use everything that they've learned throughout their field sessions. That's change of directions. That's acceleration, deceleration, shuffle. Um, and then kind of build into that where they got to chase as well. They got to dodge, they got to score. So just getting a little bit more complex as you go down that path. So I really like um, anything that is super competitive um, because it just makes them work that little bit harder. Even when we're working on our linear approach stuff for max velocity, if you've got someone else there that's going to push up, you're going to really see how that athlete runs is the stuff that we've worked on through the last six months, is it actually going over into max velocity when they are playing a game or is it that they just look good when they're working on their technical stuff but then when we do put them into situations, they're going to lose it. So that's why it's, that's why it's good to have those that motivation there and those other people there because it's going to make you do stuff that you normally would do in a, in a game or training rather than just having this really closed training session where all right, we're going to work on our max velocity we're working straight straight line all right we're working on our cuts you're going to angle it at 45 so it just gets that athlete to to really work through there i don't think there's any super important exercises um but you've just got to expose your athletes to everything pretty much mm-hmm. and so if they let's say they were to pass those you know the uh, whatever the time frame is six nine months to start doing more of those dual tasking or the group mm-hmm. work and the stuff like that mm-hmm. uh they were to pass the your criterion test move on to kind of the next phase or so on uh do you do a retest once they kind of um do th- this type of work under fatigue uh and kind of compare that and see if they're the tests kind of go way down on that uh operated leg compared to the non-operative under fatigue at all no, I don't do any formal testings um, under fatigue, but as I said, I reckon more and or just as important as your formal testing are your informal testing, and that's what you see. That's your coach's eye on what you see throughout every session. So if you see your athletes under fatigue and they're starting to change a lot of things, then that's an area that you just focus on a little bit more. But I wouldn't put any of that into my formal testing, but definitely I'm looking at it in all my informal testing. Yeah. Do you use any specific questionnaires, especially either like segmentally throughout um, or before they return to kind of going back to that uh, performance yeah. or the sport? Um, or is it, again, just more of that conversational piece? 
No, definitely. Well, the only questionnaire that I use is an ACL RSI, which is just um, a questionnaire for the ACL um, that just goes over some basic questions from, and you've got to answer from zero to 100. But mm. again, that's only there to help us because from talking to your athlete from day one, you're moving through, you're going to find out where they're not confident and why they're not confident. So that those questionnaires are going to help us, but just being around your athlete, knowing your athlete, constant communication is probably the most important thing. But you should see as time goes on that that questionnaire improves a lot. Mm. Do you see any, um, I guess, commonalities within all the people you've, you've kind of rehabbed with these athletes of sticking points within kind of that progression that's a common that come, some people kind of get hung up on or a trouble that a lot of them have um, that you see a commonality that uh, you kind of have to work through? Mm. I find really, really early on, they struggle a lot. Most athletes struggle a lot in that first two, three months um, just because they're going through something totally different. It's probably harder than they thought it was going to be and they're not mm-hmm. progressing as fast as they want. So that early phase is where people really, really struggle. But once they get over that first little hump and they're starting to move well, they're starting to lift a lot more and they're getting to that point where they're getting to that point where they can run is when people start to come out of that little phase and start to be a lot more confident, a lot more motivated and just want to keep getting involved. Because you see, not everyone loves the gym. Not everyone wants to spend time in the gym. So for some athletes, it's hard. You're making them come in a couple times a week or once a week and you've got to make them lift. And they're going through a little bit of discomfort here and there in the gym when they already don't even like the gym. So getting them through that phase is is super important. And that's where I feel like you've got to be a good coach. You've got to know how to talk to your athletes. You've got to know how to keep them motivated or you're going to lose them. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the main point that I see. And then the only other thing is when they get to the point where they can run, they want to rush it. They want to rush really hard because they're getting back to running. They're getting back to what they love. And that's where you've got to try and hold them back that little bit mm-hmm. without saying too much. But yeah, you've got, to be, you've got to be smart in that area as well, I believe. Yeah. So do you feel as though in that kind of that early stages, comparably to our just general, I guess, the normal protocols for um, ACLs, do you feel that you kind of push more and kind of do more a little bit rehab-wise compared to a lot yeah. um, conservatively? Definitely. And then, yep. And then yeah, you, definitely. The, you, you've, we've, as physiotherapists, a lot, and this is there's some really good physiotherapists out there, but a lot of physios don't have that time, the facilities, or knowledge to be working with ACL athletes. So as I said before, when you're rehabbing an ACL athlete, it's, it's just a really good individualized strength conditioning program. And I feel that a lot of physios or allied health professionals in general try and be too conservative and go slow, keep them on the bed for the first pretty much six months, uh, mm-hmm. not six months, sorry, six weeks. Um, and I find that you just lose way too much strength through there. And it's a perfect time for those athletes to be working on their, their primal bilateral patterns and starting to work on that, that, um, those running mechanics early. So I push them really fast. If they're with me, they're probably, we're doing one session on the bed um, and then we're into the gym from then on. We don't even go into the room at all um, and we just go from there. And I think that's the way to go. But again, you just got to have your regressions, have your progressions. Mm. 
And then you said, you know, that sometimes they'll go into those um, the sessions and kind of have a little bit of discomfort. What uh, what are your kind of guidelines around that? So obviously they're going to feel a little bit of discomfort. Do you like how do you uh, educate the athlete on all right? This is okay, but this maybe you know we should we should come back a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Well, if they come, let's say they have a session on Monday and they're coming back in on the Wednesday or Thursday. If they come back to that session um, and they've got more swelling, that knee's really stiff, um, and they're starting to limp a little bit then all we've done in that last session is push that athlete a bit too hard. We don't have to change too much. We might regress a little bit, but we'll just hang around that point um, until they're feeling a bit better, then we can progress from there. If they're coming in um, and they're super sore, that knee's swollen, they can't walk, anything like that, then we've gone way too hard. We've got to regress. We've got to rethink what that, um, that part of the program that we're doing is and then figure out, all right, this is where we need to go, this is what we did too hard, and change it from there. Again, um, if we're always flaring an athlete up, that's our fault. That's a rehab, that's a coach's fault. We've got to be able to find regressions and progressions for each athlete that they can come into each session and not really get too sore through that knee. Again, Mm -hmm. early phases, I don't mind a little bit of discomfort, but as time goes on, I don't want any discomfort through that knee. And if there is, that's my fault. How how many sessions a week... um is does it change uh depending on obviously the athlete and, and how they're doing and then the stages of your kind of rehab like how many times a week do you work with this athlete or how many times a week do you tell this athlete to do something whether that be rehab or conditioning wise and then is it yeah. what, what is your kind of ratio of that strength to conditioning i guess yeah with that yeah definitely um again really depending on the athlete. A lot of the people that uh, I see have jobs as well. Um, they're not 100% full-time athletes. Um, so it's really dependent on what they're doing. Early stages, we're looking at, say, coming in um, twice a week if they can. Um, if they can't, they're doing um, one session with me, then they're doing uh, two by themselves. If they can get in two, they're doing two with me and doing one by themselves. Um, again, that's going to be the pattern over that first three months. Um, once we get into that phase of, all right, they're starting to run, um, that's when we want, uh, I continue that three um, strength sessions and start to build in two of those um, real slow conditioning sessions to start with. Um, once they're getting a little bit further down the track and then we go into a more high-low model. Um, where we're going to have our high days, we're going to have our low days. Looking for on our high days, which is our speed work and our lower body work, to say have um, between two to three sessions of them with 48 hours rest between. And then our low days, we're having two conditioning sessions and upper body sessions or whatever else they want to do, mobility, skill work, um, having two of those sessions again with only a 24-hour um, recovery period needed. And so within those sessions you're doing obviously you're doing stuff to work on you know the rehabbing the injury do you for like those strength sessions are uh, either early on or later on or a combination um i know it's probably i guess time-wise for you it's a little different but do you still do like you know you're gonna get your upper body work in or just pretty much make it pretty much similar to a regular workout but just you have points of focus of that workout that you work specifically for the more of the acl rehab yeah, as, as fast as possible, I'm getting their sessions to look like a normal strength conditioning session. Um, with me, um, 
all lower body. We're just focusing on that lower body, and it's and it's we're working hamstrings, um, glutes, quads, calves. So we're working everything. Um, but then they're going to do their upper body by themselves. That's when they either come in another day to do their upper body or they're doing their upper body at their normal gym or at home. But our large focus is on getting a normal program as fast as possible um, and working all lower body. Hmm. You, you, do you find that really helps kind of um, them feel, you know, like as if they're kind of progressing towards something else or have another goal to work on as well rather than just focusing on that knee injury? Definitely, definitely. You see... As soon as you get into a normal program, people start enjoying it a lot more. There's, they get to that point where they're like, oh, I'm sick of using bands or I'm sick of using this or doing these real basic bed exercises that you're normally given. So as soon as you get them into a normal program, they're like, I love this. This is exactly where I want to be. And they're surprised how early that they can actually get to that. Mm-hmm. And so you pretty much said too, from the beginning, you have one session when you do more more of that kind of hands-on bed stuff and then from then on it's pretty much mostly all kind of your strength and conditioning and rehab yeah yeah definitely that that first session is more to just get to know them to see what their measurements are um if we need to get a bit of swelling out um we will but again a large focus is getting them into the gym that changes Mm -hmm. for some people someone might need two or three sessions in the bed but for most it's getting them off that plinth as fast as possible and getting them into the gym. Nice. So what, what, how, or how do you, I guess, what are your biggest focuses on and ways you work with athletes when they kind of are struggling and have this decreased motivation and you know, they're, they're feeling like it's taking forever, it's too hard? What, what are ways that you kind of um, help re-motivate them to start, you know, keep training hard, keep through it, trust the process, and so on? Yeah, and that, and that's a very, that's a good question. It's a very tough one to um, answer because everyone responds differently. But again, just constant reassurance, um, being approachable, constantly talking to that athlete and getting them to understand they can ask you any questions, um, getting them to getting them to enjoy it, find ways that to make them enjoy it. If that's changing your exercises up a little bit, if that's getting out in the sun and doing different type of exercises, you've just got to find ways to get those athletes to get back into it, to buy in. But as I said, if you if you get these athletes uh, early and they're understanding what the whole process is, they won't struggle as much. It's the ones that you don't tell them everything straight away. They're the ones that are going to be like, all right, well, you didn't tell me this. This is a lot harder than I expected, that type of thing. But if you are super approachable, you have constant communication you're not going to struggle with your athletes too much. You're going to have a couple week up and ups and downs, and that's where you can change your sessions up a little bit. But most of the time, just just speak well, and and you're normally pretty good. Mm, I guess kind of piggybacking off that, listen, communication wise, do you ever run in, into issues, or how do you deal with? I guess especially youth athletes, um, if they have coaches harping on them to get back soon, or parents wanting them to get back playing soon, is there ways you kind of? Um, kind of work around that to communicate with everyone that you know look you know this is kind of what we're doing this is the process it's you can't just put them back in now yeah definitely and and again that's where as much as possible you have to have everyone around them involved early if mm-hmm. if you're trying to communicate to a coach at 
nine, 12 months around that point, then you haven't, you haven't really got them. You, you want that, that coach, you want that um, athlete, the parents, anyone that you need to, um, that high performance team, whatever, you want them in the process early. You want them to understand what the athlete needs to look like at the top of the mountain, what a fully re- rehabilitated athlete looks like, uh, because then they're going to buy in as well. But if you're talking to them, yeah, 12 months down the track and say, look, Johnny's got six more weeks uh, before you can even train and then you're changing it up, blah, blah, blah. You're just going to go in circles and they're not going to trust you and they're going to just pull him back in early. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, coach, coaches are a tough one because they just want, they just want to play it. If they've seen that they've been on the sideline for nine to twelve months and they they've heard that this other bloke got back in eight months, they're asking why isn't why isn't he back playing? So mm-hmm. it's getting them in the process early, getting them to understand how how much of a journey this is. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you're just going to kind of sum up in general, um, I guess your biggest take takeaway points from um, an, an ACL like an athlete coming back from an ACL, what, what would you say the biggest focal points are um, for the athletes, practitioners, coaches, parents in general? Yeah, just just trust the process and and take your time. Don't rush through anything and get them to understand how much they are learning from this injury. They're understanding how to how to lift properly from from day one. You've got them for you don't normally have athletes for this long, so you, you've got this athlete from day one and you're taking them through the whole strength conditioning phase where they understand how to lift perfectly, how to do everything. They understand how to accelerate. They understand how to hit max velocity. They understand all these qualities that are needed to make an elite athlete. So I try and get everyone to take away that point of you're learning all these different bimotor qualities that you're going to have for the rest of your life. These are going to keep you out of trouble um, for, for a very long time if you continue doing them. It's the ones that don't get injured that, that don't really care about lifting or anything or, or understanding how to run because they're just so used to just going out and play. Mm. But with but with these type of athletes, we're really getting them to understand everything needed for the rest of that career. And would you even say that maybe someone can come back slightly, I mean, obviously not maybe in the very beginning, but even slightly better in the long run because they have kind of progressed and understand all this, all this stuff now? Definitely. And that's and again, that's what we're saying from day one. I want that person, whoever's in front of me, to get back to sport at least at their level or above. And that's what return to performance is. Return to sport is just getting that athlete back to training, that type of stuff. But return to performance is getting that athlete to playing at their exact same level or above. And that's what I say to them on day one. Um, and that's what I expect from all my athletes. Hmm. I guess one final question here. Um, I guess minus that first kind of thing we talked about with the ACL model and, you know, this, that's kind of how you think, um, the screening process and all that should go. What is, what would you say your biggest like pet peeve is upon ACL rehab reconstruction with athletes, um, kind of returning to performance and I guess in general within that realm, do you have one thing that you feel you constantly are telling people, you know, this is, you know, this is how it is. It's not what the, the main media or what most people think it is. I think there's multiple actually, but I feel like that um, most athletes are overtreated with surgery and they're undertreated with rehabilitation. So they they come they there's so much focus on getting that surgery, and then when they come out, they're they're taking that that six weeks, that seven weeks, that eight weeks to start to do any type of exercise. So I feel like they're just undertreated so much early on in that in that ACL phase. 
um, or that that rehab pay, sorry, um, that they just they're just slow for the rest of their rehabilitation. So mm-hmm. if we start to figure out, all right, we can load our athletes up really early. Um, again, we don't overload, but but we don't underload either. We get them to that sweet point where we can start to build up, build up, build up in that early phase. Then when once you get to your three, four months, they're moving well, rather than getting them started moving at that two, three months, and then they're going to not move well to that seven, eight months. Mm. So I feel like early phase is super undertreated, and that's an area that we really got to focus on. So like instead of being super conservative, as you were saying earlier, just being being you know, pushing them, being smart, you know, kind of about you know how much you're pushing them. Yep, definitely, definitely. And then do you have? I mean, you said you had multiple. If you have any other ones, feel free. Uh, we got a couple more minutes here before I head out. Yeah, and probably the other one that Mick Hughes talks about a lot is leg extension. Everyone's scared of leg extension, and it's an easy way. Again, you don't have to start it too early, but everyone's all right. Three months, we have to, we can start leg extension. But if your athlete is working through, again, a regression of a full leg extension where we're working only to that 45 or 60, um, 60 degrees, is we can start leg extension. We can start to work those quads a lot earlier. Uh, than what we learn at university or what most people talk about. So Mick Hughes is a is a super good influence on that. Uh, but yeah, that's another one that's just <laughs> that's just yeah, not not talked about enough. But mm-hmm. and I guess the last one is we've got to understand, as I said a million times, that a that a ACL rehab is a really good strength and conditioning program. So why isn't there more? strength conditioning coaches involved with physios i feel like physios we just hold them that little bit too long where we should be working pretty much straight away with whatever whoever your snc coach is um to really help so i I feel like yeah physios or allied health professionals um just hold on to their athletes a little bit too long Mm -hmm. awesome well thanks again jordan for all the information on the episode. Um, If you want to give some people where they could uh, follow you or contact you for consultations and kind of so on, and then we can, I'll put those in the show notes uh, after that as well. Definitely. Well, main, I'm not too, I'm on, I'm in, I'm on Instagram more than anything else. So that's probably the main one to look at. And that's Radliff underscore rehab. Um, Other than that, yeah, just contact me through that and I can get in, get in touch with anyone really. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on. Really appreciate it. All good, mate. Anytime.